The real estate market is booming. Whether you look in the suburbs or the city, Chicago continues to expand, creating incredible opportunities for those in the know. We'll connect with Chicago's real estate moguls to bring you the wisdom and expertise to help make your next real estate move a lucrative one on the Real Estate Moguls podcast. Good afternoon, guys. Imran Khan here, the host of Real Estate Moguls with my guest, Michael Kajalis, founder and CEO of Big City Optical. Thank you, Mike, for being here, bud. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Um, so, guys, Michael has built an amazing business, Big City Optical. There's roughly 16 stores, I believe. And 16 stores throughout Chicago and the North Shore. Awesome, and continuous, continually growing. Um, we brought you here on as a guest for a couple of reasons. Um, but before we start on a couple of my questions that I want to dive into, how you scaled your business so quickly and have a great portfolio of uh, stores, uh, give a quick background of how you have the ability to grow such a business so quickly and your background before you started Big City Optical. I think that one of the first steps when you're growing a business, especially one that you intend to scale, is that you assemble a team around you. And so in my case, the best partner was my wife, who is an optometrist by trade and a business owner for the last 18 years. So having um, you know, having person number one as your partner, someone that you work with closely that has such great credentials, I think is a, is a great start. And if you're not lucky enough to find someone like a life partner, you know, the, you know working with individuals that you trust that you feel are like-minded and share the same work ethic, I think are important. And we've since you know, expanded to a, a much larger group of, not stakeholders, but contributors to the success of Big City Optical. Awesome, awesome. So before we dive into your business, first tell me how it is to have your wife as a business partner and a personal partner. A lot of people say never mix family and, and business together, but you've excelled in it. So. If you can give a couple of feedback and pointers on that, I would appreciate that. I think it's important that, regardless of who your partner is, that you really create a lane that you can operate in freely to own. Uh, so both my wife and I created our own separate lanes. So for me, the strength was in retail sales and management. And for her, it was really around understanding the, the business of optometry and specifically working with our doctors. So today, we see very little of each other throughout the day, although after work, we talk a lot about work, and uh, she's typically helping me through with the issues or challenges that I encountered from the day, and she's doing the same. So it's really a give-and-take relationship. Awesome, awesome. So before I go into our questions about your business and and um, how you scaled and related to real estate, can you give a quick synopsis about your business, how many stores, location, and the services and products you provide? Yeah, Big City Optical started uh, just a tad over five years ago in the Pilsen neighborhood, and our objective was to bring quality optometry into the great neighborhoods of Chicago. Pilsen was a community that we felt was underserved, and we thought that the brand of optometry, which is high-touch, high-service, great-quality product, was something that there was an opportunity in that neighborhood. And so we started there, and then um, essentially we treated it like an investment. So I've used this term with friends and family, dollar-cost averaging. So that's where, as your portfolio of stocks are going down or up, rather than cashing in or cashing out, you buy in to, to downturns. 
So in our, in our, the way that I equate that to our story is our first store was extremely challenging and there were a number of reasons why our investment strategy should change. At the same time, as we were making mistakes, we were learning. And so turning those mistakes into an investment into store number two, number three, number four, all the way up to number 16, what it led to is a better understanding of what it takes to build a successful business. And so rather than cash in our chips after we learned a couple of hard lessons, we doubled down and continued to grow as we were learning. And so I think that, that having a strategy where you treat every day as a learning day and you turn it into a successful uh, second, third, fourth, fifth, 16th store, that was important for our growth strategy. And that's exactly what we did. Awesome. And so where are you guys headed in your growth strategy now? What's your goals for 2023? And what's your vision and uh, project? So each, each year, we've been fortunate enough to be able to figure out how to open up three to four stores. That's our same goal this year. The I'd say an add-on to that is we are looking for optical practices that are pre-existing, uh, because we do think that this is a unique time in the world of optometry where You've got people that want to get out of the field of optometry. They want to retire. And there might not be as many buyers as there had been in the past. And so we're trying to fill that void. Awesome. So kudos to you for scaling your business drastically in five years. You know, I look up to you on many aspects, but one of the biggest skills that you have is the value to how you speak to team members. That's what I learned from you and I continue to learn. And the way you communicate with team members, staff, your um, bank, and so on and so forth. How did you develop that skill, and what are some guide guides you would give to us out here listening? You know, I'm I'm the product of a 25 year education in corporate America, so I was able to fortunately go to work for a company that I really believed in, where they sent me through a tremendous amount of uh, communication, leadership, and sales training, and. Just like when you go to college, this is an education that I obtained over 25 years in banking. And when I went into this uh, role of being an entrepreneur, that was the piece that Ross and I both agreed is what I had to bring to the table. Um, you know, it'd be easy to start a business and not know anything. And if you didn't have the experience of learning how to manage people, then I would I would always express a caution to a person around doing so, because I think it's very common for people to leave corporate America and try to start their own business and maybe struggle. In my case, I, I thought to myself, what did I learn from the last 25 years? And it was feeling comfortable leading large groups of people. And so I always knew that in order for Big City Optical to ultimately meet my professional expectations, I needed, I needed to build a team that felt the same as the team I was leading in corporate America. And that's, awesome. you know, we're still working towards that. Great. And one of the things you mentioned is uh, 25 years of training and you said sales. I want you to emphasize and elaborate on that a little bit more because real estate in this podcast, we have a lot of real estate professionals and sales is a very important aspect. Uh, so how, what training did you receive to perfect the sales? If I were to s simplify the lesson that I bring every day, the lesson is that you've got to become laser focused on the only thing that matters. And so for us in our business, what we learned is the only thing that really mattered was the number of patient care exams 
eye exams we did on a daily basis. And so all of my activities have been focused around how do I drive in more eye exams, whether it's the marketing that we do or when people walk into the store and they're kicking the tires, how do we convert people from shoppers to buyers? And so because we had that laser focus with that one specific skill or, 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 or aspect of growing the business, we knew we had something because we knew patient count and exams was critical. And that's something that I learned from sales is you, know, you always hear the terminology sales as a numbers game. And so like, what does that really mean? I think that, you know, uh, the way that we started working with our current commercial real estate agents is that th we were just a list of interested people trying to lease different space. And they were the first uh, real estate um, brokers that sort of like took the time to understand what our business was all about. And in turn, we've since, you know, signed a number of leases with their assistants. And I think that, you know, understand where you're at, uh, what part of the real estate paradigm you're trying to master, and then figure out what's the one thing that matters and then just go after that. Awesome. So a couple of things. Uh, let's talk about the real estate side of it. Uh, you're, you know, 16 stores, anticipating three or four more this year. What are what are the five criterias that you're looking for? Because I know when we chat over drinks, you can say a location, a storefront, and you can talk price per square foot. What are your triggers or factors or elements you're looking at when you find that store? The first thing for me is that I don't want to have to advertise so that people can find my location. And so I prioritize location. And based on the profile of the location and the, and the clients that are around it, that will kind of drive how much I'm willing to spend on a monthly basis. Now, the people around me, the, the real estate brokers that I work with, they talk in price per square foot quite a bit. And, and I've had to learn that game. At the end of the day, it's really about can I afford to pay the rent and the taxes, common area insurance and all that? Can I afford to pay that? with the business I'm able to grow. What I've learned is that while I do have some leases that are gross leases, which essentially means I have no risk of taxes or any other fees being passed on by the owner, even though those are great deals, those don't those haven't always been the most amazing locations. And so and now we're at a place where we look for co-tenancy. So if we're near a Lululemon, a Gap, a Blue Mercury, a Sweet Greens, those are places that have clients that we want. And so we want to be around them because, you know, as a small business, we still watch how we spend our money and uh, we advertise, but still probably not at the same level as a Warby Parker or as um, a Sweet Green. And so that's where if you're in the right area, you automatically bring in, bring in folks. The other part of it is that as a business owner trying to assemble a team of people around you that are there to help you, they really have to be able to repeat back to me what they understand about my business. You know, the people that, that we work with are people that have demonstrated to us that they've taken the time to learn about our business. And they've done it through, through investigating it on their own or through asking myself or my wife the right types of questions. And we want people that know and understand our business so that when they bring us 
a place that they recommend, we can really value their feedback and their recommendation because they've taken the time to get to learn our business. When those two things are happening, price per square foot and all that, it all works out in the end. It's really, it's really about building a successful business. And, uh, you know, like, let's say we pay $200 per square foot. If the business can support that, then who cares? So we are not that focused on price per square foot. It's more around the opportunity and the business that we can grow in the neighborhoods that we're in. Awesome. So you mentioned gross rents versus triple net, uh, correct? Triple net leases. Um, just to give a quick synopsis, gross men's rent means X. And yeah, you add it all in. So gross, it's just like when you rented your first apartment. They tell you what the monthly cost is, and you just pay that. Triple net is where they say this is your base rent, and then here are the additional costs, which today are X. But tomorrow, they could be higher or lower, and you own the risk of that change. The biggest risk is taxes. So we have had some triple net leases where, you know, three months into it, we felt like we had a great, a totally a great deal, but then what happened was our taxes doubled. So if I owned the real estate, that doesn't affect me at all. But as a leaser of the real estate, knowing that I have the responsibility of paying taxes, that affects me. And so that's where, you know, the things that we do now is if there's been recently an exchange in ownership of a commercial, you know, strip mall, we know that that could affect our rent because that's typically when the state reassesses the value. Awesome. So how, out of your 16 stores, how many are triple net and how many are gross? Mm, I, I would... I, I think that we're lucky enough to have about a quarter of our stores are um, gross rents. And that's what you prefer? We would prefer that. Fixed. Okay. Yeah, and I would say that as a business owner, never be afraid to ask for ideally what you want, because sometimes you'd be surprised that you have a landlord that's willing to give it to you. Um, and so we always ask for it. Many of the locations that we go into today are not owned by my neighbors. They're owned by big companies that... The people sit somewhere else. So when something is professionally managed at that level, you know, most of the time it's going to be a triple net lease. But, you know, that's where I think that that's where the, the boots on the ground make a difference. So, you know, what I'm famous for is I drive into a neighborhood that I would like to open a store and then I just have coffee there every single day. And I start to understand the traffic patterns, not by what people tell me, but by what I can see. And then, uh, and then you look for handwritten signs, you know, so that's been one of my strategies. You know, you're not still though with the co-tenancy that we're looking for, you know, don't get me wrong. I think the value of advice from a professional is absolutely important. And so the commercial real estate brokers that we work with are people that really know um, the neighborhoods and they know the owners of the buildings. And so Many times you can be given a heads up on something that's coming available that truly is a premium that you want. And when you know when you get early information like that, that can really turn into um, turn into an amazing location. I mean, recently our most recent store on Ontario Street, right across from Northwestern Hospital, this has been a store that from day number one we opened it and we did well. There's almost no retail level um, commercial property in the Streeterville neighborhood. This was one of the few that we found out about it before it came on the market, and we were you know, we were the first to put in a letter of intent 
saying we'd like to lease it. So having that expertise on your team, I think, is very important. Do you uh, will you take um, information for stores that are not on the market yet from other prospective commercial brokers? Is it okay if they reach out to you say, "Hey, we have a potential lease expire expiring three to six months from now"? I think Big City Optical would be a great fit. Is that an avenue for real estate brokers to reach you out to? Or to you know, to? it it is. Uh, you know, so I, I would say that the two brokers that I work with today. You know, would obviously, I think that their desire would always be, hey, you're exclusive. And I would say that I'm pretty protective of people on my team. And so to a large extent, I do feel like I'm exclusive to them. But I've also shared with the team, look, if someone comes along with an amazing opportunity and you didn't bring it to me first, then beware, because I am looking for amazing opportunities and value. Um, I'd say my brokers today do an amazing job at that. Uh, but I also know that, you know, because I'm out there looking, there have been times I've come across properties that are not represented. And I've picked up the phone to my brokers and said, hey, will you take this over and do the vetting? And so they will do the vetting, and then they obviously earn it. I'd say it'd be different if someone brought me something. I, I would entertain a conversation, and I certainly would not say no to something that was a great value just because someone that I don't normally work with brings it to me. Awesome. If you can reiterate the story you mentioned earlier to me, I don't know if it was today or a couple of days ago, about portraying your vision in your business to the landlord. If you can elaborate or reiterate yeah. how you can leverage that in lease negotiations. Sure. So um, it, once again, going back to the team that you assemble, three years ago, there was an attorney that was nearing his retirement uh, that I was lucky enough to work with because he had a crazy amount of experience. And he said, Mike, you have six stores. Why are you signing personal guarantees? And I'm like, well, it's because, you know, quite frankly, you know, we reinvest everything we make. So our financials are good, but probably not good enough for some of these places. Um, and he said, no, 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 you, you, you should not sign personal guarantees anymore. So Long story short, um, what I've found works the best, whether it's a personal guarantee or just a landlord trying to um, lease us a space, even prior to us saying no to personal guarantees, was that we needed people that valued the story behind our company. It's very easy to be a big company that continues to sign leases for a business that's not that amazing. We see it all the time. We see big companies go out of business, and then we sit around going, surprise. So the real question is, is how do we mitigate the risk for the decision makers, the asset managers, when they allow you to lease one of their spaces? And so I believe that it's important that they hear the story. They want to know the expertise of the owners, the involvement. Uh, the other part is that you've got to really know and understand your industry. So in the world of optometry, the default rate for optometrists not performing against their leases is extremely low. It's nearly 0% when it comes to them defaulting against loans to start a practice. So this is an industry where the client base keeps growing and the number of optometrists that are in need in the business keeps growing as well, but there's not enough graduates to cover it. So this is inherently a business that's going to grow. 
and we make sure that our landlords understand that. And we try to educate them so they become mini experts in our field. And then once they understand that the default rate is very low, we talk about our business, about our growth rate, about our growth in revenue, and the fact that you know almost every penny we make, when it becomes profit, we put it back into the business, whether it's raises for the team, bonuses or incentives. You know, recently we added a short-term disability program for our employees because we had some employees that were um, in need of FMLA and they wanted to get paid. So we're like, oh, well, let's add short-term disability. So when you do those things, there's a downstream positive impact for your business. And that's, that's how we grow. And so we explain that to our landlords. And I think when you connect with a landlord and they under they can personally connect with your story, that's when they become more interested in in uh, doing business with you and in turn agreeing to the terms that you have for the lease you want to sign. Awesome. And real quick before we call it to an end, a lot of entrepreneurs, real estate people want to start their own business, uh, get into you know a, a business a office space. What are the top three pitches you would make or, or decisions or uh, feedback you would give to get the ball rolling? Number one, I would say take an assessment of your personal strengths and make sure that the business that you start supports that personal strength. So that's what Ross and I did. She was an expert in optometry and I was an expert in people management and in retail sales. Um, so it was a strong fit for us. The second thing I would do is I wouldn't let early failure stop you from doing the next part of that business. So in our case, for all intents and purposes, our first store and maybe even our second store would be considered failures. They took a long time to become profitable. But when we leaned into it and opened three, four, five, and six, and we did not fear away, you know, get scared away by the fact that we made mistakes on the first couple, it allowed for us to not make those mistakes and uh, in essence, to make more profit, we dollar cost averaging, we added more profitable practices, which supported the first couple of stores, and in turn, giving those first couple stores to become busier like they are today. Um, and then the third thing is, I, I think, um, be open to listening, genuinely listening to people's advice and feedback. And you can't go into a conversation thinking that you know everything. Uh, you know, truly be open to being vulnerable and knowing your own personal shortfalls so that you can listen to advice from others and, you know, maybe incorporate it into what you do. Awesome. Thank you for being here today. And how do people get a hold of you? So at Big City Optical, the best way to get a hold of us in a book appointment is go to our website, bigcityoptical.com. That'll tell you a lot about our company where our stores are located, and it even gives you the ability to book online an eye exam. Awesome, Mike. Thank you, and God bless on your continued growth, and looking forward to many more stores, guys. Thank Thanks, Imran. You.